Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Network. Have a great guest uh, to bring you today. Really excited uh, to get into it. We're going to be talking about really the impacts on the restaurant industry, on brick and mortar businesses during the lockdowns. We're also going to be digging into uh, regenerative farming and what is happening in California that has people fleeing. So introduce my guests just in a minute. But before I do that, I want to remind everybody that with most of my guests, I do a bonus segment. And uh, you can access that by joining the Pride either on Patreon, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. We have tons of other content, tons of other uh, merchandise and uh, things that we give you at different levels. So check that out. Without any further delay, let me bring in my guest, Molly Engelhart. And Molly is a California native. Um, she's been extremely successful in the restaurant industry, um, actually co-owns a restaurant with uh, a, a, a freedom favorite, Woody Harrelson, a favorite of many uh, many libertarians out there. And uh, unfortunately, though, because of the lockdowns, um, she's pretty much being forced to flee um, California because of the impact that it's had on her businesses. Molly, welcome to Finding Freedom. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I think it's so important to talk about these topics and get the message out there in many different ways. It's it's incredibly important. And, you know, I think as we're now getting a little bit removed from COVID, the lockdowns, everything that happened, um, actually, I was just talking to some friends uh, two weekends ago, hanging out and, you know, COVID came up, masking came up, lockdowns came up, all, all this stuff. And one of them said, oh, I've just kind of blocked that out. I don't think about it anymore. And it's like, well, there's there's a lot of people that are still struggling with the ramifications of uh, of what happened there. So, no, we cannot just block it out. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we can never forget actually what was done to us because the reality is that we have given everything – those of us who own businesses, I worked for 13 years, almost no days off. I waited till I was 37 to have my first child. Mm -hmm. I gave everything that I have in the world to my um, business and I was going to sell it for $31 million in early 2021. And what happened was, I mean, in early 2020, and what happened was they shut all of Los Angeles down. They shut my whole businesses down for 18 months. 
Um, we were not even allowed to serve food outside. We were not even allowed to do anything except for to go. We Then when they let us open again, they told us that we had to check people's paperwork to make sure that they were compliant with a completely ridiculous law mm-hmm. at the door for them to come into the restaurant. And here's the thing. People can do whatever they want to do, and we're all going to choose um, comforts in some areas, and we're all going to be brave in other areas, and we're all going to feel aligned with things, and we're not going to feel aligned with things. But I was pregnant and couldn't go pee at a sushi place in Los Angeles. Like, just we stopped, and and I was like, oh, let me go in here, and we'll grab something and go pee. And then I couldn't go pee because I wasn't vaccinated. And I'm like, pregnant like what kind of world do we live in and now my restaurants are not worth anything practically we had losses for many years in a row and after that happened literally we're just trying to come back but it's just there's homeless people everywhere Hmm. and the 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 neighborhoods are not the same like it used to be like pop in till midnight or one in the morning, but now it's dangerous. And so the streets kind of are quiet at nighttime and you don't have that late night crowd. It's not just one thing or another. We've also retrained people. People don't go out to eat anymore. They order to go from their phone and we've traded our resilience for convenience in so many ways. And the ripple effects are not even beginning to be felt. I'm getting hundreds of calls asking me for to take these crazy loans right now. And people are probably desperate and they're taking them and they're like, you know, they're, you pay back every day out of your credit card processing and all these things. Businesses, wow. we've already lost 30% of restaurants in in the California uh, and we're going to lose more, I, I bet. And I closed two of my restaurants and turned them into to-go only because it, it doesn't make sense to try to keep an entire whole restaurant going when... 40%, 60% is to go. Mm-hmm. So, so how much um, is another aspect of it? It's hard to, it's hard to find employees now too. <laughs> yes. I, I at restaurants, it seems like that's, or, or maybe I'm misinterpreting it. Maybe just the business. I'm in Pennsylvania um, outside of Pittsburgh. So a little different area from, uh, from uh, Los Angeles, but I've noticed around here, it seems like other than like Friday and Saturday, restaurants are like, ghost towns when it comes to the numbers of servers that they have, they'll just have like one or two servers. So is that like being constrained by, in your case, at least, is that being constrained by um, not being able to hire enough staff or is that constrained by just not having the clientele coming through the doors? So during the pandemic, it was that we couldn't hire enough staff because there was a lot of Uncle Sam money flowing Mm -hmm. around and people were not interested in working when they didn't have to. And I'm not going to fault anybody for that. That is, you know, a personal choice. But the after that, there's enough people. But now we're on such that the food costs are so volatile, the to-go boxes and all of the supply chain stuff is so volatile. We're on such a tight margin that we're trying to run nights that we used to run with five servers, with three servers because of the labor issues. But also the staff is not, we don't, all the really like old school hospitality servers that I'd had for a really long time, had awakenings of different kinds during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a very new and fresh teams in the restaurant. They're not as seasoned. And so, yeah, it's all of those things. Every single one of those things are, are, are shifting. We've trained people to be different. And Pittsburgh, 
is different um, for sure than Los Angeles. I'm from <laughs> I'm from upstate New York, and my whole family lives in Staten yeah. Island, and so I am familiar with Pittsburgh. And but um, yeah, it's a very it's a different vibe than it is here. I mean, basically, there was no resistance here, as far as I can tell through the whole thing. It was just we're just going to go along with it. Oh, it's not a big deal. And it's not this it's, you know, and so people were just okay with how it was. And I thought it was crazy that we were just shutting down. Like this is my personal business that I have worked at for years and years. And now I'm not allowed to have it be open. It just, it doesn't make sense. And for some reason, why did people think it all made sense? Like when you're sitting down, you have to wear a, when you're standing up, you don't have to wear a mask. You're sitting down. You do have to wear a mask. I used to have a very short personal assistant, Brenda, and she used to say, well, I'm the height of everybody else with, that's sitting down. So does that mean I never have to wear a mask? <laughs> that's really <laughs> funny. Like, well. I'm the sitting down height all the time. So does that mean I never have to wear a mask? And I was like, I don't know. How about when you're sitting at the bar, you're the standing up height. Does that mean you need to wear a mask at the bar? I mean, these things, they never made any kind of sense. And then people will be like, trust the science. And I, I, I'd be like, oh, I, I, I can't yeah, follow yeah, it. There's, there's, no, there's no science to back that up. You realize right? it's like, <laughs> trust, trust what science? Um, there's been no you know, studies. When they on, told us uh, we couldn't rescue. serve food outside, I mean, we can't serve food outside anymore. I mean, it was just, and the amount of money that they forced us to waste because they kept changing it. Tables have to be four feet. I mean, six feet, eight feet, back to six feet. If you have booths and they're back to back, they don't need to be six feet apart. Just kidding. If you have booths and they're back to back, they do have to be six feet apart. As of midnight tonight, it was always like, as of midnight tonight, did, this is Did the someone come around and actually enforce all those rules or was it just on the honor system really? Oh, it didn't need to be on the honor system because my own customers, oh, my own yeah. employees called, like <laughs> I, they called the health department on me and said I was in my own restaurant and they are have it under good authority that I'm not vaccinated and that I was in my own restaurant. See, that's that's a California thing there, and probably it would happen in other states too. I, I mean, maybe, I suspect in New York City it was happening. Yeah, I probably New York City. Um, a, a lot of people Austin, in. A lot of people around me went along with it, but uh-huh. they they weren't going. I'm sure there were some, but the vast majority of people, you know, in this area are not going to tattle on somebody for you know not wearing a mask or not being vaccinated. I'm I'm not vaccinated, and I was never. I did I did have friends that wouldn't see me um, during COVID because I didn't have you know the jab, but um, I was never, you know tattled on for, for, for doing something I wasn't allowed to, which, which is absurd. Essentially. Yeah. They, they wrote a letter to the health department and to the OSHA or whoever was supposed to be enforcing it. Mm -hmm. So it didn't need to be that we were enforcing it or not. When I tried to say like, I don't see the point. Why are we handing out masks to people that don't have masks at the door? And then they're just going to throw it away. And we're, and, and they're just, we're just walking them to their table and they did, came in with no mask, so they're not worried that they don't have a mask. Now you want them to put on a mask and then sit down four steps into the restaurant at a table and take it off and throw it away. To me, it seems like an environmental disaster. Why are we doing that? My staff was like, I feel you're trying to put my life in danger. <laughs> and so it, I had serious conversations with people like, yeah, I'm concerned that you don't really 
you know, value my life with your stance. And I'd be like, oh. And so, and I felt That's like scary. I was fighting, That's scary, right? Because the, the, like the propaganda. To have choices in life. And they God, felt God. like I was trying to kill them. That's really scary because you realize how strong the propaganda is, you know, and, and how they're able to to force it out for something so crazy that even the people who were doing it, who were really strict about putting that mask on and taking a bite and or taking the mask off, taking a bite, putting it back on, there's no way those people believe they were actually protecting anyone or themselves. The vast majority, I, mean, I don't I believe think that. They did. I think they did believe it. I, you know, I'm a farmer as well as having a restaurant and. People would come to the farm and do a farm tour with masks on. And I would, I mean, I had someone, I gave someone a farm tour last week. Oh, geez. No, the week before last with a mask on. (sighs) Outside, in the middle of the country. Beautiful. And I, and I'm always, I would always say to people like, I, I invite you to breathe in the microbiome of this air. It's mm-hmm. clean and fresh and important for us to breathe air of different environmental areas so we can get the microbiome in our body that keeps us healthy. But I don't know. What am I going to do with people? So, so speaking of, of microbiome and um, getting healthy, you're a regenerative farmer. So first, uh, I do want to you know dig into that a little bit. Before we do, can you explain what that means to my audience, regenerative farming, what goes into that and um, what, what separates, what makes it different? Yes. So regenerative farming is basically six principles that is for soil health. And the concept is that our soil, 25% of all life on the planet lives in that top eight inches of topsoil. And we are not in a like climate change, like fear mongering, let's sell some electric cars kind of way, mm-hmm. but in like a legitimate, like we're having a collapse of that life in the top eight inches of topsoil. And so regenerative farming is about building that life back up and, and taking care of the soil. And then the soil takes care of our food and then the food takes care of us. Mm-hmm. And the principles are around no till or low till no chemical inputs or low chemical inputs um, and agroforestry integrating perennials, more perennials, less annuals, integrating animal agriculture. So um, doing holistic planned grazing or mob grazing or strip grazing where you put a lot of animals in a small amount of space and you move them every day. And you could actually have far more head of cattle on a property when you're doing the strip grazing because you're moving them every single day. You move them every day. They eat, they pee, they poop, they fertilize in a concentrated way. And then they go to the next place. And so they probably eat 40%, they trample the rest, and then it grows back. And if you imagine, and you think about buffalo or caribou or whatever, and imagine, or even zebras in Africa, that's how they travel in a big pack. They're there and then they move and they move and they move. And so that is what supports the grasslands. And so by doing that holistic plant grazing or mob grazing and integrating perennials and agroforestry and low till, no till, low uh, chemicals, we're building up the microbiology in the soil. And so essentially we're giving more than we're taking from the soil. And if we continue to go in the way that we are, we are actually losing 
billions and billions of tons of topsoil every year mm. and it gets blown away because it's not being held together by that web of life that's really necessary. And that web of life that's in the top eight inches, 10 inches of topsoil is 75% the same or 70% the same as the microbiology in your gut, in a healthy gut. So we are God's beings, divine beings that were meant to eat from the earth. So if you think about your grandmother it having a garden in her backyard in Pittsburgh or wherever, yeah. and then she took a cabbage, she rinsed it off, she chopped it up, and then you had coleslaw or you made cabbage and bacon or sweet and sour cabbage. There was no dipping it in bleach. There was no sterilization. There was no whatever. And then whatever parts she didn't use, she threw in a bucket and then it went back out into the compost. And that was the cycle. And we are meant to live in that cycle, but we have disconnected from that cycle. And we just continue to take food out of the ground and just put chemical inputs in, whether they're organic chemical, in, organic chemical inputs or they are real chemical inputs doesn't really matter it's that we're treating the soil like a medium for hydroponic growing rather than a living microbiology thing that needs to be cared for or at least left alone and mm -hmm. we're not doing either of those things so i guess one thing that maybe i've heard before just but i haven't haven't really thought about it. what's the reason for the no-till or, or low-till with the regenerative farming and like oh perfect yeah. So imagine all that life that's in the topsoil and then it's hard to imagine it because you can't see it. Right. But let's imagine something like a, um, a coral reef. So imagine mm. if you took a plow through a coral reef every single year, three or four times a year, and then you planted just one kind of coral all the way through, and then you tilled it again, you put another kind of coral, like mm -hmm. could all the rest of life that survives on that coral reef continue to survive? So that's kind of where you're breaking that web. So it's a connected web that lives off of each other, all these different funguses, viruses, um, and bacteria, and they are all interconnected and they're all living on the living root of a plant. So 90% of them are living from a plant is taking carbon from the atmosphere, turning it into carbohydrates, sugars, feeding the microbiology. The microbiology is pooping or excreting or however mm -hmm. it processes that. And it's turning it into fertilizer in the soil. And then that's feeding the plants. And so that's the, the cycle. The plant brings the carbohydrates down to the life in the soil. There's life in the soil excretes fertilizer that then feeds the plant. Now, when you disrupt that, if you have a imagine a field that's all cabbage and then you kill, you cut down all the cabbage, send it to the grocery store. Wegmans gets all their cabbage mm -hmm. and now you're going to till it. And then you're planting cilantro and you cut all that cilantro and then you till it. That web is never getting to get reconnected and rebuilt up every three months. You're breaking it. You're breaking it. You're breaking it. So maybe this is a dumb question, but how do you loosen up the soil in order to plant if you're not tilling it. So um, there's a couple of different ways. So there's mm -hmm. something called a no-till seed drill. And so this seed drill is just poking in the seeds into it's a uh, John Deere. The one that mm -hmm. I have is made by John Deere, but there's lots of uh, versions out there. And basically it pokes um, little tiny trenches that barely break the top of the soil. 
and then covers it with a roller. So it's just like the minimal disturbance to get it in. Um, in, in vegetable farming, the way we do it here, we do a couple of things. We grow our vegetables in 20 foot strips between our trees. So we have an avocado orchard and there's 20 foot rows or 15 foot rows between avocados or oranges. Now in that underneath the avocado trees, we have two rows of avocado trees very close together and there's grass or cover crop and pollinators and those avocado trees. And then there's 20 feet where we're growing cabbage, let's say. Mm. So when we pick the cabbage, the microbiology can escape to the perennial borders and then we replant something else, but we don't till it anyways. We use a flail mower, cut it down to nothing, and then we add more compost on top. We call it the lasagna method. So we're always adding another layer to the lasagna. And then we're planting into that softer um, topsoil that uh, we've added from the compost. Okay. And then the plants are still still growing down into that top, you know, top. Yeah, they're growing down in. Gotcha. And then you can also do, there's like crimpers where you can crimp one plant, put up one kind of plant and then bend it over and plant the other seeds underneath it. And the plant that's dying is actually creating a shade and a nurse crop area for the other ones. There's, you can plant, you know, there's a many different ways that you can do um, this. You can do um, successive planting. So you plant multiple things at one time, but then some of them are going to take nine months to be done. And some of them will be done in a few weeks or 30 mm-hmm. days. And then, so then you're doing much less disturbance because you have this successive planting as the things are growing. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with regenerative farming and the concept you talk about, but I haven't, you know, I've never, for some reason I haven't questioned the, uh, the tilling. That's, that's pretty um, interesting. There's a film on Netflix right now called Kiss the Ground that okay. was put out by uh, my brother at, uh, started a nonprofit. And you spoke about Woody Harrelson earlier. He's the narrator, but it digs into how, um, soil health really is the most important um, factor. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of scare tactics around every kind of other thing about the environment and soil is largely ignored. So, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Woody Harrelson. Um, do you still own a restaurant with him? Is that uh, one? Yes. It's yeah. one of the restaurants we transitioned to it to go only. And that mm-hmm. just happened two months ago, but yes, we still own a restaurant in uh, Culver City together. And what what type of restaurant is that? What's the what's the fare? It's a vegan restaurant. Okay. Vegan. I'm, I'm not vegan, but I'm sure it is delicious. I'm sure I'm sure it's incredible. Eighty um, percent of my customers are not vegan, so I really? always say I'm not a didactic person. I don't think there's one um, lifestyle for everybody. There's not one food uh, for everybody, but I make really good food. So I, I always say like, I promise you're going to enjoy the food no matter what. I don't, I hate not good food. So I don't care, you know, what it's made out of. I don't like Mm -hmm. food that's not delicious and not mindfully taken from the earth. Right. Um, so you're, you're leaving California right at, at the end of this year and moving to where, what's, what's your plan? I'm moving to Texas. I'm one of those Californians that are moving to Texas. And Um, I I assume you you have plans to open up restaurants in Texas then? We're doing a really interesting project in Texas. Uh, We uh, bought several hundred acres of land outside of San Antonio um, in a small town called Bandera. 
and we are building a retreat center, hospitality, 30 tiny houses, on-farm brewery, destination brewery, all on a regenerative farm. And the plan would be that people come, it could be anything from a conference to a retreat, to a wedding, to a family reunion, um, and enjoy the farm, enjoy everything that we have to offer, you know, get brewery tours, get farm tours, and uh, have the farm to table dinners and meals and all of that. That's a great idea. Is that is that something that you've seen done somewhere else or is that is that sort of a unique idea that you had? Well, I mean, there's like super fancy versions like Flora Farms in Mexico and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but uh, this is going to be a little a little down from there, but um it is going to be uh, really cool and we're actually raising money for the project right now, so if you are interested, I can send you the deck. Um but sure. we are raising the um but I mean, really I think if you think about it, if the if everything goes really south, what we're going to need is housing, ability to distill things, commercial kitchen, ability to grow food, ability to harvest food, all those things. But you can't just spend all your money and time preparing for something that may or may not come. This is a business model that is super solid in this world right now where people need to reconnect, we need to get off the internet. We need to see people Mm -hmm. in real life. We need to get out, touch the soil, touch the ground boat in, you know, raft in the river. It's a super solid business plan for right now. And if the world takes a turn for the worst, it's a compound. (laughs) Um, And and I, I, I think that that's, I think, I think this is smart in the current situation that we're in. I think it's smart to design a business that is a great business for right now. And if all hell breaks loose, it's also a great option. Yeah. As a, uh, I'm a risk manager in, in my day job. So as a risk manager, that, that is a, a perfect con- contingency plan you have set up there to, to turn your regenerative farm retreat into a compound when the shit hits the fan. I love that. You just make sure you have enough guns and enough water <laughs> and enough seeds and you're good to go. What's the uh, raw milk situation in California? I know that it's regulated differently in every state. Pennsylvania, I have to get my raw milk. I like pick it up behind a church. It's like it's it's legal, but it's like this weird situation where, where like only some people can produce raw milk. Is it even allowed in California? There's two producers in California that are legally producing raw milk. That otherwise you have a herd share. So I have a herd share. So multiple mm. people own my cows with me. Yeah, I've heard and of that. So, uh, you know, some people own like half of a cow, which is a lot, and they get a lot of milk. Some people just put in $50 and they get a half gallon every few, uh, every week or whatever mm. like that. And then they contribute for the w- bottle washing, the, the milking, and the hay but they don't buy the milk. There's no price to the milk. There's a contribution towards those other things. And so that's a herd share. And that's, mm-hmm. um, that's legal, yeah. uh, but it's not selling. It's just like, I'm sharing my milk with my neighbors who also own my cows with me. Uh, in Texas, it is legal. And we're excited to start up a micro dairy on the farm there. Oh. We're uh, really, we're designing this shipping container, milk room right now and I'm excited about it and we're going to have a small micro dairy um, in Texas that will be raw milk and that is legal there. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I just got into raw milk recently. I kind of learned about, you know, the story behind Louis Pasteur and really how um, really by the fault of what they were doing at the time during the Industrial Re- Regu- uh, Revolution, bringing these cows into cities and feeding them garbage and then um, blaming, and you know, then their milk all- turned blue and yeah. then everybody got sick. And yeah. it's, like, it's like, instead of okay, fixing well- the problem of feeding the cows garbage in a city, oh, let's just boil all the milk. It's like, what? <laughs> it, it's crazy. crazy. And milk is, I mean, milk, raw milk is a superfood and mm-hmm. pa- hyper pasteurized milk is garbage. And so it's like people will tell you these statistics about why milk is so bad for you, but they're, they're right because they're talking about ultra pasteurized milk and it is bad for you. But how could milk be bad for you? Like I literally, before I got on here was breastfeeding my three month old, like it is God's thing made perfectly uh, for to grow humans or to grow cows or to grow. It's not, it's, it has all of the microbiology to set up a healthy gut. That is what milk is made to do. Be set is to set up a creature to have a healthy gut ongoingly. My kids this morning put hot chocolate, organic hot chocolate mix in their cup, walk outside. Well, their big brother is milking the cows and squirt the cow milk right out of the cows and drink and make their, they make their baby Cheetos, which is milk and hot chocolate mix. But I mean, I think there's nothing better than warm raw milk right out of the cow. That cow is living in the same environment. They are producing antibodies to fight everything that's in the environment that Mm -hmm. they are. Yeah. That makes, it makes sense when you just take a minute to think about it. I've heard people say, well, you know, pasteurization gives such a long shelf life and it's good to have a long shelf life and the, the milk lasts longer. It's like, once again, well, you you only need the long shelf life because of this situation we've created with these long supply chains. If you're going directly to a local farmer, you don't need a long shelf life. I mean. Yeah. And, and my milk lasts, I mean, we tell people five days, but it lasts mm-hmm. much longer than that. And here's you the freeze thing. You it too, longer, right? You, yes. But if yeah. you want a long shelf life, make yogurt, make butter. It has a longer shelf life mm-hmm. and you can still have, that's the, still the raw product. And then if it starts, if like, if we have cream or something that starts to be past its date or coming up to his date, we make ghee, which is clarified butter. And that's, you know, super healthy as well. Yeah. So I'm sure you've gotten this question before with regenerative farming. Um, is it scalable to the point that really like in the United States that we could scale it up and survive and feed everyone with regenerative farming? The meat part is a hundred percent scalable mm-hmm. and I'm in the investigation of the vegetable part. There's only a few regenerative vegetable farms. So, you know, we're out on the skinny branches here trying to figure it out, but the meat part is a hundred percent scalable and the meat, and integrating animals, you know, integrating animals and then growing grains in between the grazing of animals, it's 100% scalable. In fact, regenerative farmers are able to have more bodies on the ground, more hooves on the ground than a traditional farmer because you're moving the cows every single day 
So the grass. Don't, don't tell that to the climate alarmists. Don't don't tell that. That's not going to help. Oh, I know they love to blame the cow farts. Um, no, uh, no, I'm and the, and and literally, there's nothing better for the environment than bovine on grass, as long as it's being well managed. If you just le- let them languish on a pasture and never move them, it's not okay. But if you move cows every day, you take your pasture and you strip it out and you move them every day, every two days, and you do that, a you can have more double the cows on the pasture. And B, it's regenerating the soil. It's gre- it's building more humus in the soil. It's adding carbon uh, to the soil. It's pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. Like there's literally nothing wrong with it. And I'm a vegetarian and mm-hmm. nothing wrong with like It is ideal. There's nothing better for the planet than bovine on pasture. Yeah. And, I'm, just, and, I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But what, what led you to be in a, a vegetarian? I've never eaten meat. My mom was a vegetarian. Oh wow. Okay. I, um, so I was raised that way. My brother, who started Kiss the Ground, the big um, nonprofit for uh, regenerative agriculture, uh, he's 43. Just started eating meat this last three years of his life, or four mm. years of his life. Um, but I've not decided to. I mean, my husband is Oaxacan from Mexico. I mean, he eats meat in every meal. It's like not a meal if there's not meat. But it just doesn't resonate with me. But I don't. I think that it. I think it's largely driven by your blood type. What, what do you mean by that? I think if you're an O blood type, you cannot be vegetarian and be healthy. And I think that if you're an A blood type you lean towards being more vegetarian, pescatarian. And I think that there's not one body, there's not one diet for everybody. And the Mm -hmm. idea that we would think that there's one diet for everybody is crazy. Like not everybody's going to do paleo. Not everybody's going to do, not everybody's going to feel like the smell of some, I mean, you can, I walk downstairs and, there's bacon cooking and I'm like, and everybody else is like, Oh my God, that smells so good. Right. So like, I don't, that my body is not craving whatever that is. It's not asking for it, but I have kids, two of them eat meat or two, two don't eat meat. And one does, it was not any like push one way or the other. My husband does. And I don't, but Rio, my oldest literally was like three years old and he just was like saw the steak on the grill and just wanted whatever that is I wanted in my mouth. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important for us to recognize, but I think that eating foods should be whole foods, whatever they are, they shouldn't be processed. And, and so whatever people are eating, as long as they're the whole form of the thing, not enriched and made into something else and, you know, all the things we do and we shouldn't be eating seed oils. And so, you know, that leaves animal fats, I think are look back at the health of people when there was tallow and, and lard and butter were the primary fats that we, and olive oil. Well, will will Um, you, will you eat something that was cooked in, in tallow though? No. No. Yeah. I didn't think so. (laughs) No, I won't. I mean, it's not, I, I'm not, I'm, my husband always says not yet. And he's probably right though. I mean, there's probably a time when I will, Mm -hmm. I just, it's not, um, 
I haven't gotten there yet. So, so I, what, I, what oil do you typically, do, do you cook with avocado oil or, or guess olive oil or? In my restaurants, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we cook with grapeseed oil and rice oil and olive oil. And at home, we have our own olive trees here on the farm. So we cook with our own olive oil mm. and then butter from our own cows. Cool. Okay. Yeah, because there's the what the with avocado oil. I, I don't it, trust it. Yeah, it's supposed to be good for you, right? But if you think about avocados, the ones that are the best avocados get sold because you can make money with that, and the worst avocados go into the oil, the rotten ones. So, well, as an avocado farmer, I would take issue with that. So, that. is that not true? So, yeah, what's that, that's just what I hear. What's is um, my issue with avocado oil is I think it's cut with other things, but I, I, I mean whatever avocados you're buying in the grocery stores, Mm -hmm. they are considered. So there's sixties means 60 in a 25 pound case. And there's 40 and then there's 46 is, which is 46 in a 25 pound case. And then there's 36 is, which is 36. Those are the only ones that we're getting top dollar for. And when Mm -hmm. I say top dollar, I mean, we're getting about a dollar and change a pound organic, but the any smaller avocados, which are 70s, 80s, and any big avocados that are like 30s or, you know, meaning that, they, that there's less than 30 in a case, we're getting a significantly less money for them. So I don't think that they're bad avocados. Avocado trees don't make avocados only in the size that you see them in the grocery store. That is the middle size. And that is what is the majority of them are. Or, I mean... We just had a pack out that was like 78% and that's a high percentage in that, in the, in the high, um, the right size, but weather conditions and all types of things could add to what gets into that right size, uh, bracket. And Mm -hmm. we get, it's the difference between like a dollar 29 a pound and 39 cents a pound on the little ones. So I, I, so, but I think a lot of that also goes to like those guacamole, like, prefat package guacamoles and stuff. Yeah. But I don't think it's bad avocados. I just, it's the same with lemons. Like lemons are not all shaped the same shape, but we only buy the same shape in the grocery store. That's, that's so crazy. What, what, so, what's the reason why the, the big avocados don't, don't sell or I, why I mean, they get exactly a lot of price? Like, Cause there's less of them. And then they have to have, you know, so basically grocery stores only buy sixties. If you look, there's only like two sizes of avocados in your grocery stores. Mm-hmm. It's the sixties and the, and the 48s. 60s and 48s. Yeah. 36s, maybe it's like big, large avocados or whatever, but occasionally you'll see them. But that's because the, and then there's other avocados, like other varieties sometimes that are bigger. But as far as Haas, you only see gro- grocery stores only order those three sizes. And it's because they sell avocados by the piece, not by the pound. So if I want to get really big avocados, I got to start my own avocado farm. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. <laughs> or order them mail order from me, but I, yeah. we're almost to the end of avocado season. Um, nope. But it's the same. Uh, someone just sent me an email like, I think something's wrong with my lemon tree. What do you think all these weird shaped lemons are? And I was like, just the other shapes that lemons come in. <laughs> <laughs> like, lemons are not all the same size and they are not yeah. all the same shape. It's, but like all when those, you grow, like, yeah, it's like when you grow tomatoes in your garden. You know, not all of the tomatoes in your garden look perfectly like in the grocery store. They're all different shapes and sizes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. 
So what's your plan with your, uh, your restaurants in California um, once you move to Texas? I have an awesome team here and I hope that they'll continue to run it and I will continue to manage um, from afar and, and come back and forth. And uh, I, I hope that California politics does not destroy California small businesses. They've done a lot of damage, but I'm hoping mm-hmm. that we can navigate it. So I think we're going to move to the bonus now. I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up in about 40 minutes. Um, okay. I'll, I'll just ask you ask you one more question. Um, is there anything that I, I didn't ask you about today or anything that you want to reinforce and touch on again that's really important um, that you want to tell my audience before we move to the, to the bonus? Uh, no, just thank you for being people in the world that are committed to freedom and liberty mm-hmm. because I think that we are in the place that we are right now because we, the people, fell asleep at the wheel and that government was never supposed to be this large and overreaching, And but we, the people, didn't hold it at bay. So thank you for being awake um, to all your listeners and thank you for being the kind of people that care about liberty and freedom and that the Constitution is, was and is a great um, idea. And, you know, let's not give up on it yet just because we fell asleep at the wheel for a little while. 100%. And just like we talked about at the beginning, like we can't forget this because this will come back and this will be tried again in, in a different flavor, in a different way by our government. So we have to learn these lessons and continue to you know, talk about it just like we have here today. So Molly, thanks for coming on the show. And I guess one more thing, any any plugs, social media, otherwise that you that you want to give before we move to the bonus? Sure. Uh, my Instagram is Chef Molly. And then uh, the we have a Sovereignty Ranch and Soa Heart Farm. And those are just what the Instagram handles are. And my restaurant is um, Sage Vegan Bistro. And so uh, all of those would just be the names.com or uh, you can look us up on Instagram. And I look forward to communicating with your guests there. I mean, with your audience there. All right, Molly. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you for listening to another great episode of Finding Freedom with another awesome guest. I'll be back next week with more hard-hitting interviews or maybe a solo show. You never know what you're going to get here on Finding Freedom. You just know that you're going to get a show. Every single Monday, you get this show. Every Wednesday, you get Mean Age Daydream with Brian McWilliams. And every Friday, you get Meme Wars. That, of course, is on the Lions of Liberty podcast network feed. If you want to just get my shows, then subscribe to the Finding Freedom podcast feed or subscribe to both. If you really like us, actually subscribe to all three, mine, to Mean Age Daydream, Solo Feed, and to Lions of Liberty. You get three, you get every feed and you support us to the maximum. That's not true. To the maximum would be also joining the pride at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. Either way, however you choose to support us, we appreciate it. We appreciate you listening and I appreciate you sharing the show. So with that said, I will see you next week. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.